0: No, it's funny, um, Manny would ask me a while ago, he said, Dan, actually he says, hey, Dan, I like the way he talks, <laughs> why, why, why do you guys call it LAX? My son was asking you. And uh, we, we've had a few things. I mean, pe- sometimes people say, hey, how did you get in the airport? You know, we're, we're not actually in the airport. And, you know, are you ex-gang members or ex-beach bums, actually? You know, what are you guys? But, yeah, it's just simply, I mean, we are right there. We're actually above an IHOP. Uh, right on the corner there by um, uh, LAX airport. It's funny, a little girl was in Norwalk that goes to our church, and she was going down the street with her mom. She looks at this IHOP She said, Mom, there's our church. She's like, what? We're, in, we're in Norwalk. And she looks over, and there's IHOP. So all the kids identify our church with the pancakes, I guess. All right, well, we're in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at uh, the first church here in, in verse 40. Um, exciting church, uh, what the Lord did. This church was just birthed brand new, brand new believers in the Lord, didn't know very much except that Jesus loved them, that Jesus saved them, that Jesus was their Lord. And as we look at this, I want to just point out a few things that maybe would hit us this morning. And uh, I commend you guys for being here at 8 o'clock in the morning. That's fantastic. I was just thinking to myself, boy, you know, we'd probably have to do a 2 o'clock in the afternoon service in LAX. Because even at the 9 o'clock service, you know, people stroll in like at 9.20, you know, with their mocha lattes and all these different things. So I commend you guys. So let's look at uh, chapter 2, verse 40. And what I want to do is read down to Verse 47. And then let's pray and we'll get into it. it says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized. And that day, about three thousand souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, as we have just read your word, Lord, we read what happened 2,000 years ago. Lord, when you called men and women into your kingdom and you washed them of their sins, you made them sons and daughters. Lord, and we see their response, their, their joy, their excitement. Lord, and their impact among their community. So, Lord, we pray today that you would just have a word for each of us here. You would speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if there was a title to this, it would be, you know, On Fire for God. These Christians were on fire for God. And we're looking at the first church. This is the very first church. And it's not hard to see how hungry and totally passionate and dedicated to the Lord, these believers were. The, the word used to describe them, it says, they were steadfast. Steadfast actually means to adhere, to stick to, um, to be constantly diligent. So they were constantly diligent in their walks with the Lord. Today we would use words like they are on fire for Christ or they're totally sold out for the Lord. You know, those are the kind of words that we might use where the Bible says these these believers were steadfast. They had a single passion in their lives and that was Jesus. They had a single dedication in their lives and that was Jesus. You know, a good question to ask ourselves is what gets us out of bed in the morning? What do I wake up for? As you see here, these guys, what got them out of bed every day were, were the things of the Lord. That's what they did. That was their life. From, from you know, the BC days, they were one thing. And then all of a sudden now, they're something totally different, and they have a new vision, a new passion in their life. And the excitement of, of this new church, this early church, jumps off the page. Let me just point out a couple of things it says. It says, fear came upon every soul. Now, this is a godly fear, uh, an awareness of God's presence. It's not like they were shaking in their boots as much as there was an awareness of God's presence among them and around them and working around them. They could see and sense that God was working in them and among them. And there was a reverence and, and actually an expectancy of God's work. They just expected it. They experienced it. Now there was this reverence, this holy reverence, like, what's he going to do next? Because God is real, and God is in this place this morning. And we should have an expectancy for God to work. The apostles, it says, were doing signs and wonders. You know, signs and wonders are not just to kind of make us excited. What they are to do, according to Jesus and Mark, is, these signs and wonders are to confirm that the gospel is true. And so they're like signposts. They're going down the freeway on our way over here, going from the 105 to the 710 to the 10. You know, if we didn't have those signs saying, hey, Calvary Chapel El Monte is there. You know, but can you imagine if there was a sign on the freeway that said Calvary Chapel El Monte just up the road? And I stopped at the sign and I go, wow, here's El- Here's El Monte. No, we can do that with the signs in, 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 you know, the spiritual signs, but they point to something. There are signs and wonders that point to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus told us that signs would follow the preaching of the gospel. You know, that when we preach the gospel, signs would be there to confirm. And that's why most of the, you know, the miraculous happens out on the streets and happens out on the mission fields where the gospel is being preached. And God is confirming, saying this is true, and he's speaking to hearts, and he's given word of knowledge and prophecy, even healings, that his word is true. It's amazing. We were just at a, a hospital, this this little girl that we knew. She'd come to our church, and she'd heard the gospel, and she was fighting drugs, and she was taking what's called GHB. You might have heard it in, in the news. It's actually a date rape drug. You heard that, where it kind of knocks women out but she was taking it like a recreational thing and uh you know she heard the gospel she went out and she took this and it just completely she overdosed on it and she was in the hospital for two weeks completely delusional completely delusional and and even as you know we were asked to go over there to anoint her with oil and to pray with her When we were there the doctors are you know the mom's like i'd like her to get out and go to a, a christian rehab and the girl wanted to do that and the doctor's saying I don't know if she's going to get out of here. She might have to go to a mental hospital. Because as we were talking with her, she would see things. She was pretending like she was smoking cigarettes two weeks after her overdose. And we didn't know if she was going to come out. But she has a a believing nurse there. And two of the pastors went over there. And just a bunch of people. That's why it says elders pray. And we prayed for her. We anointed her with oil. And we get a a call, an email. My wife gets an email from her uh, aunt saying the doctors, uh, she's totally healed, completely her mind's back, and she's got a grasp on it. And and God is still working those things in our lives. God is still doing those miracles because he wants people saved, and he wants people to know Jesus Christ. And so these things follow the preaching of the gospel. We can conclude that these guys were then basically boldly preaching the gospel, and then God confirming with signs and wonders which follow the preaching. Now, God was working with them and among them, so this was a spirit-filled church. This was a powerful church. It didn't rely on programs. It relied upon the Holy Spirit to reach the hearts and to do that work in people's lives. And the excitement of these believers is, is really provoking to me. As we see here, they love to be together. These guys love to hang out together as believers. They went from house to house eating together. You know, we call Calvary Chapel Calorie Chapel, right? Because that's what we love to do. You know, we love to eat together, don't we? And go from house to house. We even have, you know, I read in your bullets and hey, bring finger foods for the mission thing tonight. Because that's what we do. But it's interesting. That's what our Lord does. If you look at him after the resurrection, you know, every time you see him, what's he doing? He's eating. He's always eating. And he'd say, hey, bring your fish. And they get out there on the shore. And what does he have? He's already got a barbecue going. You know, and that's like early, early in the morning. And so believers, you know, hanging out together, one of the things we do is we eat together. But it says, though, they had all things in common. All things in common. That means they had a common goal as believers. And And, of course, that would be the things of the Lord. There was a common interest among them. And that would, of course, be Jesus Christ. Because he had won their hearts and they were they were just thrilled to know him and to go from house to house and talk about him. That, that's what they woke up for in the morning. And that's what those are the kind of people they surrounded themselves with to kind of encourage them in the Lord, to encourage their walks and to encourage other people. Because, you know, you know, Jesus, I know Jesus, I don't care where you've come from. Because we know Jesus, and he's the one that we want to lift up. And that should be the bonding thing in the Christian life. They ate their food with gladness, it says, and simplicity of heart. It's interesting. They had gladness in the most common of things. With gladness and simplicity of heart. Everyday things had more meaning for these believers. You notice that as believers? You know, just the the mundane, the everyday things you wake up for. Before you're saved, before you know the Lord, all of a sudden those things take on new meaning. You know, and everyday things now have a value to them. Because there's nothing really secular and sacred in the Christian's life. Everything is sacred. Your job you go to as a mechanic or a construction worker or whatever you might be in, that's sacred now. And it has meaning and God has you there in a mission field. And, and gathering together with friends is more than a social event. It's got meaning now. There's a communion that takes place in the Lord. And so they had experienced now what it is to be alive in Christ, because that's the abundant life, to know Jesus. He changes everything in our life. And it says they were praising God. And that is the response of a new life, is joy. These guys had joy in their life. You know, there's nothing like seeing somebody that has been touched by the Lord walking around that's full of joy. And, and that's what it says about all these people that they, they were praising God. You know, sometimes pe- Christians can look like they've been baptized in lemon juice. You know, they kind of come out and they're just and, and it's like, believe in my Lord. And you're going, man, I don't know about that. You don't look very happy, you know. But these guys, they were praising God. They were full of joy and and just praising the Lord an acknowledgement of their appreciation. That's what praise is. Just acknowledging, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for bringing my family back together. Thank you, Lord, for getting me off of drugs. Thank you, Lord, for not letting me die, you know, before I knew you. It was just a, a, a response of complete gratefulness to the Lord and these believers. Their excitement also was contagious, as you see there, for the Lord added others to the church daily. That tells me that... What people were seeing in their life, they're going, you know, what do you have? What, what's changed in your life? What is it about you? People were interested in what they saw and they wanted what they had. You know, when you see somebody that has been touched and born again by the Holy Spirit and you watch them and you see, man, that person was dead. Now they're alive. That person used to be like this. Now they're like this. You know, it's an amazing thing. There was a gentleman that I met here Um, you know, probably two years ago, he's a big old guy, man. He's got that big old mustache, you know, and he was just telling me, if you look at him on the street, he just, you kind of walk away from him, you know, and he was just telling me how the Lord touched his life and he's got this big old smile now, you know, and it's contagious. You look at a guy like that and you see BC days and you see AD days where, you know, before Christ and then after Christ, after death. And a changed life. It's contagious, and people were looking at that, going, "Man, that's that's wonderful family." And they were, the Lord was adding to the church, adding because of their contagious um, belief. Now it says they they were also very bold for Christ. I think I'm losing my mic here. What years? There you go. They were also very bold for Christ. Their, their confession wasn't a private one. It says there in verse forty that they believe, or verse forty-one that they received the word and, and, and were baptized. Now this is after Peter preached that sermon at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had come down. Peter preached and basically says, "You guys need to get right with God." And those who believe, they received the word gladly, and, and they were baptized that day. Three thousand souls were, were baptized. And baptism is that public acknowledgement of Christ. You're saying to the world, I'm dead to the world and I'm alive now in Christ. And so they were identifying with the Lord. It's that first step as being a believer. But their boldness is also seen as they met daily in the temple. Did you see that? These guys were going to the temple daily to meet. The temple was a public place. The temple was a place everybody could see them and hear them, watch them, and identify them as being Christ's followers, to be believers. And so here these people are that came to believe. And you remember, not too long ago, not very long ago at all, Christ had just been crucified. And there was a lot of animosity there. And now these guys believe in Jesus. And guess where they're meeting? They're meeting in the temple. Where people could say, oh, that's another Christian. That's a Christian. Oh, Johnny over there or Daniel over there. And these guys were bold for Christ because they met there in the temple where everybody could identify them. And they were with one accord in the temple. And they were not ashamed to be called a Christian as they met there. Now, Acts is our model of a church. As we look back at at the book of Acts, we see that it's a model. You know, we're, we're born, you know, freshly born and freshly raised up. And we see here in the in this church some things I still believe Jesus wants to do today because he's still the same Jesus, isn't he? Yesterday, today and forever. He never changes, the Bible tells us. And so I still believe he wants to do what we see here today. And possibly, you know, there might be some of us guys, as we go along in our Christian life. That we can find ourselves kind of losing our first love, in, in in Revelation chapter two, the Church of Ephesus. Jesus commends them for knowing their Bibles, you know, for knowing who false prophets were, and you know, for standing up for God in the Word. But he says, nevertheless, I have this against you: you've left your first love. He didn't say you lost it; he said you left it. And that's a, a, that word there, love, is a, like a. Uh, betrothal love. His church is the bride, right? And he's saying, you've lost that passion for me. You're doing all the things. You're kind of mechanical. You're you're going through the motions. You're showing up for church. You're singing the songs. But that passion's gone for me. That betrothal, you've left it. What does he tell them to do? I want you to repent. I want you to remember and repent and then redo. And so as we look at what what these, these Christians were doing, you know, there, it's possible that we can, you know, look at these things and say, Lord, you know what? I used to do these things. I used to be like that. I used to be that on fire guy, but I've gotten so busy in my life. And there have been times in my life where the Lord has just hit me. Hey, Dan, Dan, you're, you've walked away from your first love. You know my word. You know, you, you, you can even say the prayer and you can even sing songs without thinking of them. Just kind of going through the motions. But where, where's that passion for me? You know, and it just kind of gives me that little slap, that little kick. And you know what, Lord? I'm sorry. You know, and, and we're supposed to redo. I want to point out actually six things that these guys did that we can take from and then walk, walk away from or maybe be challenged with in our own life. And, and see, why, why were these guys so on fire for the Lord? What was it about them? Well, the first thing... That I see there. Is their salvation was not private. It wasn't a private affair. They confessed Jesus before men. First at baptism. And second in the temple. They identified themselves with Jesus. And his people. And that's just a question for ourselves. Have we identified with Jesus? Do people know that we are Christians outside of this place? Where we say you know listen. Listen. I've given my life to the Lord. There was a time in my life when I, I was on that fence, just that that proverbial line, you know, where it was like I'd listen to Greg Laurie in Costa Mesa on Monday nights, and I knew what he was saying was right, but I also know, you know, wanted to live my life the way I wanted to live it. But when I finally gave my life to the Lord, I still had all my old friends, and I didn't tell them about it right away, you know. There was kind of like this. What would they think in that kind of deal? Well, there, there came a point when I had to tell them. I had to be honest because I would hear Greg Laurie with, you know, reciting those words of the Lord in Luke nine twenty six, where he says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his father's and of his holy angels. Remember Joseph of Arimathea? It says that he was a private disciple. But when he saw the Lord lifted up and when he died on that cross, it was Joseph of Arimathea that actually went to Pilate and says, I want his body. And he went publicly with Nicodemus. They grabbed the body and he even gave him his own tomb. Or he rented it for three days, right? till the Lord, you know, came out of it. But there was a time in his life that he had to let people know. And it's important for us to let people know who we are who Jesus is to us. Because you'll never, ever be excited, never grow. There's always that problem, actually, between me and the Lord, if I, if I don't confess Him with my mouth. And they did that publicly, both at baptism, and they did it every day in the temple, as they would pass their relatives, and they'd, they'd pass those scowling faces of people who believed in Jesus. They didn't care. Do what you want. I believe in Jesus Christ. It was interesting. We had a missionary that... Uh, actually, Manny knows him. He, he's, uh, he's going to Iraq to, to plant Calvary Chapel in Iraq. Uh, Dave Gonzalez, him and his wife, and, and their son, 20-year-old son. And, uh, but Wes Bentley from Far-Reaching Ministries, that's, that's who he's coming under. He goes to Sudan, and he does all these wonderful things in, in these war-torn country. And he was just sharing with, with us that there, there's this gentleman, this young guy, you know, that used to be a Muslim. And they're sending these guys out on the front lines. And, you know, 10 have died in the last 10 years. That's one a year. These, these chaplains are dying for the Lord. But they, they have the mentality, guys, that is just unbelievable. This, this former Muslim, he says, man, I was ready to die for a lie. I would blow myself up for a lie. He says, now I know the truth. What are they going to do to me? That's his mentality. I mean, so these guys are just boldly in these hostile countries Ready to die for their faith in Jesus Christ, and they don't care. They don't love their life unto death, and so that's what Jesus. Is, that's what we see here: is these guys. It was so radical to them and so real to them. They just said, "You know what? This is. I don't care what people think. I'm going to cross that proverbial line and say that I identify with Christ." That's the first thing they did. Second thing, they were dedicated to their Bibles. It says they were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. Now, that means they studied what the apostles wrote. We call the apostles' doctrine Matthew through Revelation. That's the New Testament. That's explaining to us the new covenant. Explaining what the Old Testament, the prophecies that are fulfilled in the New Testament. They were men and women of the word of God. It's what that says. They were steadfast in it. You know, someone has said one week without the Bible makes one week. Have you ever heard that? And it's true. You'll be weak. What is wrong with me? What's going on? Why, why, am I, why am I seeing these old things start to come into the scenery again? Getting in the Bible is like paddling upstream. There's a little current, right, in this world. If you, if you do nothing, what happens? You go backwards. doesn't seem fair, but that's what happens as Christians. You know, so what do we do? We're paddling upstream. It's not a lot of effort. You're just paddling with the Lord that's being in the Word. Now, you see this terrain on the right and the left. Now, what happens, you know, if you paddle for three hours and all of a sudden you stop? All of a sudden, you start seeing that same terrain again. Hey, I I passed that a long time ago. Same thing happens in us. We're, We're growing in the Lord, these behaviors, these attitudes. They start coming back going, where's that coming from? Guess what? We're going backwards. We're going backwards in our walks. And the word of God will help us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Jesus said in in John chapter 8 verse 31, he says that we are to abide in his word and we'll be his disciples indeed. And we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. We, We get set free from sin and bondage from the things we used to walk in. So these guys were dedicated to the word and they were being transformed by the renewing of their minds. They were learning and doing what it says. And that's one of those things, a spoke in the will as a Christian, we need to be in the Word of God. You know, sometimes leaders think, well, I'm in the Word because I'm I'm studying for Sunday or studying for Wednesday. But, you know, you can almost do it like a book report. We need to be in the Word of God devotionally. Lord, speak to my heart. Speak to my life. Tell me what you want from me and show me what I am now in Christ. Because you say that I'm not who I used to be, you know, and people are telling me that you're still that same old person. But you say in the word, this is what I am. And as you get in the word, you start to realize who you really are in the Lord now, how much God loves you and how sure your salvation is as you abide in Jesus Christ. You know, it comforts us. It strengthens us and it equips us to do the work of the ministry, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter four. So being in the word. Secondly. Third, it says they continued in fellowship. They were steadfast in their fellowship. The word here is koinonia. That means, again, having all things in common. And you you know what the core of that is? It's Jesus. Fellowship is really Jesus. It's believers hanging out talking about Jesus. They were regulars at church is what that means. You know, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says... Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the, the more as you see the day approaching. So Hebrews says even way back then, in the very early church, there was already a problem with people going, I don't need church. I don't need fellowship. And he says, listen, don't do that as the manner of some. You guys get together and hang out together and exhort each other as you see the day approaching. We need to be committed to fellowship as believers. We need it. People need you and you need them. That's just the way it goes in the body of Christ. We need each other. It's like coals, you know, in a barbecue. You, you, you have a, a bunch of coals together. They stay pretty hot. But you have that one coal that's outside. That one's going to go cold very quickly. So we kind of stoke each other. We provoke each other to love and good works, the Bible says. Now, first and foremost, we need to be going to church. That's a, a dedication. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. You're at church. But we need to make that commitment in our life saying, listen, I don't care if, if Raymond is on TV. You know, I, I don't care if the baseball game is on Wednesday night or whatever. I'm going to commit myself to church because the flesh on Wednesdays, on midweek, on Sunday morning at 8 in the morning, says, man, just hang out. You deserve a break today. You know, and you start to go, yeah, don't I? God, you understand, right? He's like, yeah, I understand you're tired, but you don't understand what you're going to be facing tomorrow. And you need a word from me. You know, you need encouragement from me. And so, you know, maybe, maybe it's not even about you. I want to share something through you by giving that person a hug, sharing that scripture, sharing your testimony with that person. And so we need each other in the body of Christ. There's a fellowship going on, and that's what these guys were doing. They were hanging out together, loving each other, and they were going to church together. You know, so they were committed. They had church in the temple, and they had church at midweek in, in, at homes, house to house. And I do think it's important to commit to a local fellowship. I really do think that's important. Finding a place to plant your roots. Because you know, there, there's a tendency today, because there's so much information today, to not plant our roots somewhere in the body of Christ and so we go to this church for this and we go to this church for that and we go to this church for this and we go to this church for that now i don't think that's biblical that's just my opinion i don't think it's biblical i mean the reason why is because you start to miss out on this what i'm talking about today is the fellowship and you don't get to a place where you're actually giving to a certain body there's a commitment level that needs to take place in our lives we need to be dedicated to church somewhere be committed at one place rather than be scattered at many places. Because this helps us, keep us accountable. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, As that iron sharpens iron, so a, a, a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. What that means is, you know, even in church, guys, even right here, you know there's personalities. We can be all holy and, you know, Lord, I'm just struggling. No, no, the Lord would say, you just don't like them. I'm struggling with their personality, you know, or I don't like the way they responded or I'm going to go to another church because they didn't say hi the right way. You know, and we get like that and the Lord's like, toughen up, be iron on iron. You know, iron on iron kind of rubs those rough edges smoother and smoother and smoother. Sometimes that's painful. Sometimes that causes heat. But we have to commit ourselves to the fellowship of our brethren. And be committed. You know, in our families, we always have someone in the family. Maybe it's me. I just don't know it in my family. That people just have to get along with me. You know, oh, that's Dan. Yeah, you know, he is my brother. He is my son. But, you know, we're committed, right? Well, guess what? You guys have been born into the family of God. You guys, as, as believers, are a family. And so we need to find a place. We need to say, okay, Lord, it's biblical, like right here. It's biblical, and it's trusting you, and you know what? I'm going to commit myself there, and I'm going to be iron, and I'm going to, I'm going to be shaping, and I'm going to be shaped. Committed fellowships helps refine us and helps us refine others in the body of Christ. Are we committed to that? It's important to do so. Now, fourth, they steadfastly broke bread from house to house, it says. Now, this is the fun part, Right? In the sense of just hanging out, talking about the Lord. And this has to do with our friendships. Breaking bread from house to house, first and foremost, has to do with our friendships. They spent their time with other Christians. The equivalent in the world would be having a beer together. You know, going after work and hanging out. What these guys did is they went from house to house, hanging out together, breaking bread. Because that's what we do. We eat. We mentioned that already. It's important to spend time fostering relationships that will help you outside the church. You know, having brothers and sisters outside the church to help you walk the walk that we we commit here in the body of Christ. Breaking bread was really a social event in, in the body of Christ, but it ended with a spiritual event. And guess what that was? Communion. You see, that's why we need believing friends. There can be people that... You know, they, they're not bad people, you know, but they just don't know the Lord. And we can socially hang out with them, but we don't have that final, that second part, which is that spiritual event, the communion that leads us to the Lord. That's why it's good to have Christian brothers and sisters around us, because, you know, it always will point us to the Lord and encourage us in the Lord. It, it's something edifying. And outside of these walls, listen, hey, man, I'm struggling. And God will be there to, to, to help, and they'll be there to help. Do you foster friendships with people that lead you to a closer communion to the Lord? That's what they were doing. One, one, uh, the fifth thing here is that they were generous, as you see there. They, they, they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, as anyone had need. And, and there's, there's three ways that we can commit ourselves to the Lord in, in giving. You know, and I can say that here. You know, so you, you say that in your own church, people's eyebrows start to rise up. Like, okay, where's the baskets, you know? Where's the pressure? But, you know, there's almsgiving. James talks about that. We give to people who are in need, and we do it to the Lord, then it's an offering to the Lord. We can also give free will offerings. That's something we just like, God, you know, you blessed me with so much, and I want to help this missionary, as he was just talking about, sending missionaries. That poor little guys struggling huh <laughs> But missionaries you know we we had Dave come to talk about Iraq and his family and those type of things and you know we can support a missionary in something like that that's a free will offering that's what Paul talks about when he's saying, hey, I'm going to come in Corinthians 1st or 2nd Corinthians 9. I'm going to come and I don't, I don't want to put a lot of pressure on you and, and, and be of necessity and compulsion. He says, I want it to be of a good heart. And it was a missionary offering that he was taking. And then you have the tithes and offerings. It talks about in Malachi 3, all, all the way through the Old Testament and even before the law. Both Abraham and Jacob gave the tithe before the law came. And so a tithe and offering is giving 10% of ourselves or of our income to the Lord. And what that is, is Deuteronomy tells us, it's so that we learn to trust the Lord. We give 10% and say, Lord, you've given me 100. Here's 10%. I'm giving it back to you. And I'm trusting you. And it's basically saying, you know what? You are first in my life. You know, you know as Calvary chapels, we stay away from this a lot, the whole money issue. But it's an important life spiritual lesson that we need to learn as Christians. That giving to the Lord is both a a spiritual offering, an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord, and it teaches us to trust the Lord. That we give him 10%, and you know what? He sanctifies the rest of the 90. And there is a promise in Malachi 3 to trust him on this, test him on this. Read it for yourselves. And and maybe God would want to challenge you in that, to invest in his kingdom. Because where your treasure is, what did Jesus say? There your heart will be also. And so we can tell a lot about where our treasure is by looking at our checkbooks and seeing where we spend our non-discretionary funds. We can see, that, oh, that's important in my life. Learn to trust the Lord on that by tithing to your church and by you know, free will offerings and even looking around for maybe those that are in need, especially in this economy, guys. There are so many people hurting right now, so many people hurting in our body and I'm sure in your body. And if you just ask the Lord, well, I don't have a lot, Lord. I don't have a lot to give, but you have more than that person next to you possibly. And that's what they were doing. They were selling their possessions that they could give around. They were helping. Now, the fifth thing that they did was they said or sixth thing they steadfastly continued in prayer. These were prayer warriors these guys prayed continually, steadfastly. Now that tells me a couple things. First thing is, is they were dependent on God because that's what prayer is. And it tells me, it shows people around me, shows the Lord that I'm dependent on him to get me through my next day, to get me through that meeting, to help my marriage, to, you know, whatever it might be. Prayer is that avenue. It's It's a way of Depending on God, it shows our dependence on Him, seeking, asking, and knocking for His will. Remember what James says in chapter 4, verse 13 through 16. Let me read it to you. He says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And what that's saying is when prayer is a way that we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, here's my plan as a college student. I want to be this as I grow up. I want to do this. I want to marry that person all those things that we are planning in our minds, if we're not praying, then we're being the Lord of all those areas of our life. And James is saying, "Don't." there's an arrogance to that as a Christian in my own life. I used to live like that, and so did you. We used to live, we'd wake up, and we had our plans, and we were going to do what we wanted to do because we were the Lord of our lives. Well, what prayer does is say, Lord, here's my plans, and we put them as an offering before him, and he can take them, take it and say, you know what? I've written that on your heart. That's something from me. Or he can say, you know what? That's not my plans for you. I do have plans for good, not for evil. But that's not them. See, if we're not willing to lift up our plans to the Lord, if we're not continuing steadfastly in prayer for our lives, then those things, we have to question whether those things are from the Lord or not. Our plans, well, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to go. We should at least be able to lift them up and say, Lord, this is what I sense that you're leading. I'm asking you, take it, you know, decipher it, you know, cut parts of it out, but you give me back your will. That's a dependent harm upon the Lord. And that's what James is speaking of. Prayer is also vital for a powerful uh, spiritual life, it's, it's vital to be a, a, an effective, powerful. Christian because one thing prayer does is the first thing we do Manny seems uh, one thing when we pray together he always says Lord forgive me of my sins it's like the first thing he says Lord forgive me of my sins when we come before the Lord in prayer what ends up happening there's a self-confrontation right that happens because you're coming before a holy God and you got things in your life that are going on in your life and those things can keep us from prayer or we can come to the Lord and be honest and say God get rid of these But if we have a stubborn heart where God's dealing with you as a husband and He's saying, listen, love your wife, you know, and you just feel that conviction, you're not going to want to pray if you're being stubborn, are you? Because as soon as you start to pray, God's going to say, I don't even hear you right now. Let's let's talk about the way you're treating your wife. So what do you do? I'm not going to pray right now. So it's healthy, isn't it, to be in prayer because you keep your accounts short with the Lord. Keep your accounts really short with the Lord. But prayer is vital for power in our life. Jesus often went by himself to pray. He would he would wake up before anybody would, and he would go pray. Now, Jesus is we know the Son of God. Jesus has the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in God, bodily form, the, the Bible says. The fullness of the Godhead dwelling in bodily form. He's God with skin on. Now. Philippians 2 tells us that he humbled himself, became a form of a bondservant, set aside his privileges. That would be his omnipris- uh, privileges, omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence. He set those things aside, and he became dependent on the Holy Spirit. They were his, but he set them aside to show us how to live. And he became dependent on the Holy Spirit. And we even see that he was baptized in the Holy Spirit when he came out of the water. And that's when he started his ministry. So Jesus, yes, he was God in flesh, but he didn't rely upon his Godhead. He relied upon the Holy Spirit. And you'll see that over and over and over through the Bible. So that he operated in the gifts of the Spirit, but he went to pray. Now, if God went to go pray, God in the flesh went to pray, how much more do I need to pray? Jesus went and spoke to the Father every morning. Father, lead me. Yes, he could say, you know, I always do the things that please my Father. But man, how much more do I need to be praying if I see the Son of God praying? uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, prayer, let me just quickly tell you three ways to pray. One is just that praise, adoration. You know, Lord, you're so good, you're so wonderful. Second way is to Petition the Lord, the things that you need. You know, Lord, you see my bills piling up. You see my health, my, you know, what's going on. It's personal. And then there's intercessory prayer. And that's to pray for people around you. And boy, that's needed today. Intercessory prayer. That, that is the hardest prayer to pray. Because it's not for me. It's for other people. And so, James says, another reason to pray is it accomplishes much. James says this, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so we're not just praying to get things off our mind. We're praying because we know that God can do something where we cannot do something. So this church was just completely dependent on the Lord, and they were praying. And the final thing about prayer is they believed it. You know, I think that sometimes we don't pray because we don't believe it. If I'm honest with myself, why won't I pray? Why, why, why am I not lifting that up? Because I don't believe that God's really going to do something about it. If we really believe God's going to do something about it, we'll be on our knees. Because we know, you know, according to the Bible, he's all-powerful. He's on the throne. And he's looking after us. So if we pray according to his will, it's going to be done for us. So why aren't we praying? There's a spiritual warfare that goes on with that, isn't there? Have you ever decided, hey, we're going to pray together Monday nights as a family? What happens Monday at 5 o'clock? It's like an explosion in the house. Everyone comes home heavy and dark and, you know, it's just like, what's going on with us? Well, we decided to pray. I've had a woman say, man, we decided to pray and everything's going wrong. We're not going to pray anymore. It's like, no, resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. And so there's those times in our life, you know, when we're making a decision, I'm going to get up and get the word. I'm going to I'm going to pray and then you're going to get spiritually attacked. Cuz Satan, you know what he wants from you and from me? He wants status quo. He wants us to be just blah, a flo- uh, 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 just a mark on the wall. Wallflowers of the Christian community in this world. Because anybody that would start to be used of the Lord, and soon after this, guess what happened? The church was persecuted, weren't they? It was a bad thing and it was a good thing. Christ says, hey, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Took it personal. In a good way, though, man, the gospel went all around the world. Came out of Jerusalem. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to have those battles in our lives. But man, there is nothing like living this life. You know, maybe as a Christian, you know, you, you've lived this once. Maybe as a Christian, you God had gotten a hold of your heart and you were so excited. I can remember my early days at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Man, I had an insatiable appetite for the word of God. I worked, you know, Sunday night, Monday morning, I worked night crew. I used to call myself a night stalker because I stocked shelves, you know. And the other days I'd be off, you know, and so what do you do on your day off? You can't really change your hours. So I'd just stay up all night and I read the Bible all night, listened to Chuck tapes all night. I'd be so full of the Word of God, I felt like I was going to explode. And then I would go to Monday night, Grey Glory. I'd go to Tuesday night, Odin Fong. I'd go to Wednesday night, Chuck Missler. I'd go to Thursday night, Chuck, Chuck Smith. And if they had a Friday night thing going on, you know, I'd be there. And, you know, work, I'd be cross-sighted and passing out because I was so tired. But I tell you, those two years of my life were so exciting. But the, there was a time after that. And I started getting away from those things, and I got in a relationship that was just blah, carnal. Now, what happened to that? I left my first love. And there are those times that God will call us back to that in our lives. And, and maybe, maybe you've been walking, you know, in this last year. Maybe things have hit, trials have worn you down, and you know, you, you, you're not who you used to be. In a sense, you don't have the joy, the passion. You know, your prayer life. And this isn't a guilt trip, man. This is God just saying, listen, I can do that again. I can do that today in your life. Maybe you've walked in here and you don't know Jesus. First thing he would want from you is to cross that proverbial line. To say, listen, I want you to identify with me. And leave that old life behind. And you come follow me. Who cares what people think? I have eternal life and I have a future and I have a hope for you. Maybe that's you. I know Manny said he'll he'll be up here. I'll be up here to pray for you guys. If you would like prayer for any of those things, if you're doing these things, man, just be strengthened in them. Charge it. I think the Lord is coming, don't you guys? I think he's at the door. Every, every major theme of prophecy is on stage today. And you and I, man, there's going to be a harvest. And I, I do believe... It's getting more and more intense. But he's calling people out of this world to follow him. He's calling Christians to wake up and be on fire for him. And here's our example, guys. There's six things that they were doing just naturally. But they're putting here for you and I to look at and go, You know what, Lord? Do that in me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. And Lord, as we look back at your church, God, we look back at people that were just thrilled to know you. God, just dedicated to you. Father, we pray for those in here this morning that possibly just need to, Lord, be rebaptized in your spirit. Lord, for those who maybe don't know you this morning, God, that you would knock on the door of their heart. Lord, that they would hear your voice and open that door, as you say in Revelation, that you would come into them. Wash them clean. Forgive them of their sin. Lord, and they would be bold enough to come up here and get prayer for that this morning. We do pray for for your body, Lord. Baptize these precious people in your spirit. God, change the atmosphere in their homes to joy and praise. Give them friends, Lord, that, that love you. and Lord, may they come as a united force in Calvary Chapel, El Monte, Lord, to be a light in this community for you. In Jesus' name, amen.